Hi guys, welcome to Talking in Bed. My name is Jen and today we are going to talk about math, but I want to get a couple of things out of the way. The first 15 minutes of this, I'm talking mainly about cupcakes. So if you want to skip over the cupcake talk and get just skip ahead to like 15, maybe like 17 minutes in and you'll get into the math stuff, depending on how long, 17 or 18 minutes in, you'll get to the math stuff. Um... If you're here because you think that this is going to be a really informative, like, NPR kind of podcast about why math is hard, it's not. That's not the concept behind this podcast. It's going to be me. I've done a little bit of research. I've looked up some articles on why people think that math is hard. And, you know, there's a little bit of kind of very anecdotal information from people who know things about math. Um, but this is not a really in-depth research thing. I'm going to talk a lot about my memories with learning math as a kid, and I hope that you relate to it. I hope that maybe you find it funny. I hope that maybe it makes you feel less bad about your experiences with math when you were a kid. Um, so I, I really hope that you'll... Even if you were looking for a highly researched and informative podcast, I hope you'll put me on in the background and fold your laundry and uh, maybe there's something interesting in this podcast. So with that said, let's start talking about the fall weather outside my kitchen window. Hello again, guys. It's been, it's been a minute, as they say, since the last episode. And, um, boy, I'll tell you, the fall, (laughs) I just said fall in a New York accent that I've never used. The fall, the, uh, the fall colors outside my window are, like, breathtaking. I mean, so, (laughs) if you've been following this podcast and you've been following kind of the story of what's going outside, what's going on outside my kitchen window, you will know that there was one tree that had turned completely yellow before all the other trees in the neighborhood. And that tree that was completely yellow, it's, well, I mean, you could safely say that it is entirely bare. You know, there might be really a handful of hanger-ons and then there are these um these little brown leaves that maybe that's something to do with a a seed I would guess and so those are hanging on I don't know what kind of tree this is exactly anyway all the other trees that are outside my window are popping I've got like a like a burnt orange no it's like a burnt yellow there's such a thing as burnt yellow, like a rusty yellow, <laughs> a rusty orange. Um, and also, so the clocks, I just sort of put it together <laughs> when I woke up. The clocks here changed last night. So our analog clock in the kitchen, it says 8.15 and my cell phone is telling me it's 7.15. And I have to tell you, This actually is a really good segue into what I wanted to talk about today. I had to look at that analog clock for a solid minute and a half and really think about where the 7 and the 9 usually are to to let it register in my head that it said 8.15. And you know, I, to be honest, I've been up for quite a while. I just couldn't. I haven't gotten much sleep, if I'll be perfectly honest with you. I think I've been up since four. So I got maybe like four hours. (laughs) And we're having people over later. Um, But anyway, I... uh, Oh my god. Oh lord. I got up and... um, out of bed and I was like wow it's really light out for seven in the morning why is it so light and then the clock was different (laughs) and 
slowly the pieces started to come together, but that's the kind of brain that you get when you haven't slept well, you know. Mm. I am having coffee, so you are going to have to deal with me having a sip of coffee every now and then. And um, it definitely... So now, uh, for any listeners who are new, I work a night shift. I live in Germany. I am American. Your basic rundown. And um, when I've been leaving work, at, I leave work at about 6.45, 7 a.m., And um, it has been dark out when I'm biking home, which, you know, hasn't felt like terribly. (laughs) It's not my favorite thing in the world. Uh, And so I kind of didn't, (laughs) I forgot that the clocks would change. I, I, I mean, you know, every year they kind of bring up like, well, maybe they'll phase it out. It's always only useful for farmers. I don't know if that's true because it is nice to be up at this time and have daylight. I mean, I know that as we get, as we head into December, uh, into November and December, I I understand that there'll be less and less daylight until the 21st. I know (laughs) I've gotten that far. Uh, But it is nice to not like wake up in darkness, but... I know it's going to happen anyway, you know. Mm. So I guess you just have to like savor the, uh, savor the sunlight while you can. But anyway, uh, the sun is, has this really like beautiful gold color going on. And, um, the way that my kitchen faces, uh, the sun is behind my apartment building. So I'm just seeing the sun kind of touching like tops of the trees and you know the house across the street and um oh it's just so nice it's like perfect little fall morning the air is crisp outside and um I am going to make Halloween cupcakes today for my guests that are coming over um and these are legit American Halloween cupcakes when I was home in September. I went out of my way. Well, I didn't go out of my way. They, they had it on display at Walmart. Uh, you know, Pillsbury, Funfetti. It doesn't say Halloween anywhere on it. I guess it doesn't have to because the Funfetti is like superimposed over a bat and it's, you know, orange and black. And then I got frosting. I got real Pillsbury Funfetti frosting. I didn't actually look at the expiration date on this. We're good. Just so if you're curious, this would last until January of 2022, so I'm good. Now, what's very interesting, cupcakes are like a really distinctively American thing. Uh, North American, obviously. I'm obviously in Canada. They're eating cupcakes. Um, But for some reason, it's just... It it has been sort of, uh, what would you say, imported to Europe as sort of this American craze, you know. When, obviously, cupcakes a couple of years ago really had a moment. They had, like, the same moment that bacon had a couple of years ago. You know, it was just like a food fad. And, um, but the concept of cupcakes is still like, it's very exciting for Germans because they just didn't grow up with cupcakes. It's just not part of their life. You know, they didn't, I, like at a class birthday party, their mom didn't make cupcakes. What, what, um, you know what German kids, now I can't say what German kids would bring to school specifically. But I do know that they really like to eat, what are they called? Profiteroles. Like a pastry with a cream. Probably like a Chantilly cream inside of it. And (laughs) the word actually for profiteroles is Windbeutel, which is windbag. (laughs) Which I always find very funny. But I know that kids really like to, that's like kind of a standard kid's birthday party thing. I've never been to a kid's birthday party in 
Germany. So it's hard for me to even say what they serve. And one of the things that's kind of a challenge is that the concept of frosting is sort of, if I, there is no way to really translate frosting. They have like icing and I know some people use frosting and icing interchangeably. It's really not interchangeable. It's some, some, I've heard sometimes that it can be a regional difference. So in some parts you would say frosting and some places you would say icing. Icing is really when you get a sugar cookie that has that, I mean, that's a very popular thing on social media is you'll watch people decorate, decorate, oh my God. I, between the four hours of sleep and the coffee Oh my God. Decorate. Uh, they'll decorate sugar cookies with all of these really um, amazing designs. And that's done with icing. And, you know, icing is a little bit thinner. Quite Well, it's much thinner. And uh, it like dries hard. And then frosting stays fluffy and it's voluminous and um they don't I've tried to explain what frosting is to people and when I've looked up sort of cupcake recipes in German they will refer to cupcakes as cupcakes and frosting as frosting they don't try to use a German word because the concept sort of doesn't exist and um you cannot imagine how frustrating it is to be having a conversation with somebody and try to explain what frosting is. And it's like all you can say is like the thing, the stuff that goes on a cupcake and to have somebody like look at you with like blank eyes. It's like, no, I tend, I have worked on my anger a lot over the years, but I, I wouldn't say that I was an angry person, but I would say that I was temperamental, quick to anger. I mean, other people, you know, talk to an ex-boyfriend. I'm probably the most angry person. That they know. <laughs> um, so I guess it's probably who you talk to, quite frankly. Um, but you know, there are certain things that just will, like, really make me, <laughs> it just sets me off. And, uh, yeah, I mean, this, some particular conversation that I had with a German person who was, like, just looking at me, like, the concept of frosting, they had never, you know, it's like, it's not like American movies, everybody watches those, at least in Germany, I can only speak for Germany, everybody watches American TV and movies. You've seen a birthday cake. Try to use your little brain cells and figure it out. You know, put yourself, draw from your experiences. And, oh, God. I didn't know I was going to get that. <laughs> I'm getting upset now just thinking about that experience. Um, that is all to say that I'm very excited to use uh, frosting on these cupcakes. Now, if you're a baker, or if you, you know, just as a pastime, I am sort of a, I like to bake. I enjoy that. The problem with baking is that if I make something, somebody has to eat it. I don't have kids. I could bring it to work, but I'd bike to work. <laughs> what am I going to do? Lug a cake, you know? Um, <clears throat> so yeah, it just doesn't help with, you know, I've already got like a huge sweet tooth, my husband too. We don't need like fresh baked goods in the kitchen, you know? And, um, the issue with making what, what most Americans and I imagine Canadians would be used to is called American buttercream frosting is that um, 
it requires an obscene amount of powdered sugar, like really far too much powdered sugar to get it to hold. And for whatever reason here in Germany, you can only get powdered sugar. Maybe, maybe I'm just not looking in the right places. But all that I've seen is powdered sugar in these small boxes. I would have to get like three of these boxes to make like one <laughs> serving of buttercream. And I've just never, I'm, I'm very like picky about where I spend my money, which does not mean that I have a lot of money. <laughs> I'm just kind of, uh, like, neurotic. I don't even know if I'm neurotic. I just... I just didn't grow up in a house where, like, a lot of frivolous spending occurred. And, um, so I, I really don't do that. I don't, like, see a lot of need for it. And I have to say that... <laughs> I've talked about, I think I've talked about the fact that my parents are conservative and isn't that so terribly conservative, not politically, but like literally the meaning of the word conservative is like, they just were not frivolous spenders. And, um, and I think it was, in my opinion, it was a good thing that they passed on to me. You know, I, <laughs> the bar is pretty low. <laughs> I don't need a lot to be happy. Now I do spend a lot of money on food because I just get very like excited about, I get very excited about stuff at the grocery store and um, I go through phases of like getting excited about baking and cooking and then, and then I really fall out of that and I'm curious what they have at the grocery store, you know. I think I'm a good baker and I think I'm a good cook. I can do both of those in a very satisfactory level. Uh, but what? <coughs> Sorry. <laughs> Double throat clear. Um, you know, it's just that food companies, they've got all the right, <laughs> they've got all the right ingredients. They, they really know what they're doing. They're doing it every day, you know? <laughs> and, uh, so I kind of, I go through these different phases of kind of being like, well, what are, what are the various food companies putting together? I'll see what they're doing and, and then I'll get into making my own stuff. Mm. And, uh, so that's what I'm kind of really excited about today is working on my cupcakes and then making a lasagna later. But, um, what I wanted to talk about today and this is the issue that I've told you guys about before I had <clears throat> so this has been kind of an ongoing thing where I have re been recording episodes we're into the 40s now this is like the the 40s of the episode does that make sense do you understand what I'm saying what I mean is that this is episode 43 and, um, so during the episodes that were all in the thirties, I felt like I was, um, really trying to figure out, okay, I've sort of, I'm past the initial excitement of discovering that I like podcasting. Now, what do I talk about? You know, just kind of... <laughs> I'm sort of over talking about how much I like talk podcasting and just sort of doing a brain dump. And then the 30 was kind of like, I don't really have stuff that I need to dump out. Uh, and I don't really have anything prepared to talk about. And so in the last, no, not the last episode. I'm sorry about that. <clears throat> in episode 41, I guess it was, I did, um, the top 40 worst movies of all time, uh, best movies, I'm sorry, best movies of all time. And, um, that was an idea that I got from a list about, you know, like what to talk about on podcasts. 
And I really liked that idea. And that episode was so much fun for me to record. And I realized that, you know, what I like about podcasting is being able to kind of express my ideas in the moment. And I like having an idea to react or I like having something to react to. And um, since I'm not really at this point, at least I'm not somebody who's really that keen on interviewing many people on this show. You know, this isn't really meant to be an informative (laughs) podcast. It's just supposed to be kind of fun for me mainly (laughs) and for you if you're enjoying it. And so it just helped me realize, like, it's fine if you prepare something or just have an idea, you know, if you have an idea that you want to explore that you think could be interesting, just do a little prep before. The issue is that, which I've talked about before, is that I think I am somebody who, if I have to, if I can't do it immediately in the moment, if I have to do prep work for it, I'm not going to do it. And I think that that kind of shows to an extent. Now, this week was kind of busy. I had just stuff going on. And between sleeping and working and doing the stuff, I didn't really have the time to record. So I think it was a little bit of both. It was a little bit of having to have a little, just like a minor amount of prep work done and having the time and the energy. And, um... And here we are. It's Sunday morning. I am underslept. (laughs) Severely underslept. And um, what I wanted to talk about today is why is math so hard? Now, I mentioned earlier my issues with the clock. So when I... Uh, very early into like my schooling life, it became very clear that math was a challenge for me. And obviously, in the early years of school, uh, math is easy. It's all relative, right? If you don't know it at all, then it's not easy, right? If you don't have like a concept for what a number is, and you're learning it, it can be challenging. I don't, um, I don't recall if I had problems with addition and subtraction. I, I think that I got those. It was more complex things. So telling time on an analog clock was very difficult for me. And I went to math tutoring from like a very young age. I mean, probably I started in like the second grade, um, which was also the year that my family moved just to like the next town over, but I had to switch. It was a different school district. I had to switch schools and I had this real, I know we're not, (laughs) it's very mixed feelings on this word. See you next Tuesday. This woman was, I don't know why she was a teacher of seven-year-olds. I'm not sure. Because she was mean as fuck to me. To me. Because I was not, I wasn't a bad kid, but I wasn't a great student. And her name was Mrs. Kowalski. I fucking hate that lady. (laughs) I hate her. And my mom, of course, you know, my mom definitely was the kind of person grew up in the kind of era where she, she took what the teacher was saying as she took it seriously. But I think that she understood that this woman was like not being cool to a child and what a fucking bitch. And she would wear those horrible dresses that were very popular in the 90s, like what are now referred to as like Laura Ashley dresses, which was a company that made these like, you know, ankle length, doily, necklined, floral dresses that are just so, so fucking hideous. 
even at the time, I was kind of like, I, I remember distinctly thinking that many times in the 90s, thinking like, you know what, this is just not a good look. <laughs> what you're doing with the pants, they're too big, they're too tight, you know, either they're too big, they're jankos, that looks kind of crazy, or they're too tight, but not in the right way. It, I feel that I personally had some of an eye to be like, you know, this is not looking good, guys. It's not going to age well. <laughs> and partly I think that's because I would look at, my sister is three and a half years older than me. And so I would look at yearbooks from, I mean, she would have been in school already in 1988 and 1989. And when I looked at yearbook pictures of the other kids, I was like, what the fuck is with this hair? Like this like feathered up hair and, and the, um, <clears throat> what were the backgrounds? It was like a purple to blue fade with like an ombre kind of color scheme with, um, some like almost like white laser looking things and like stars. And I remember thinking in 91, I, I really think that those kind of looks went out of favor once the nineties. I mean, really like January 1st, 1990, it was like, we're not doing the feathered hair anymore because never in my life did I ever think that feathered hair was like chic or cool or of the moment it it was really something that died like in it didn't die I mean people were still doing it in the 90s but I really felt growing up like that looks very dated and not good anyway wow really off course we're here to talk about math and I am miles away from that you can see how much I don't want to talk about math so I was in tutoring from a very young age uh, for math, and listeners of the pod will know that I was one of those kids in the 90s who was diagnosed with ADD. I believe it's only referred to as ADHD nowadays. Um, I still call it ADD because, I don't know, when I was, I think it's just a generational thing. I'm sorry to say that I'm that old, but... ADHD, when I was a kid, the hype, it was a real emphasis on the hyperactive element of things. And I know that since then, they've really, uh, they understand a lot more about ADHD and they've been able to break it down into different components and elements that, you know, like, uh, I think executive functions was a really big component for me. And there's probably some element of ADHD that involves like numbers and comprehending numbers. So, or not necessarily numbers, but how the numbers interact with each other. And um, so telling time was really tricky for me with an analog clock. If it was a digital clock, I was fine. That was fine for me. So it wasn't the numbers themselves. And I didn't have any kind of math dyslexia. I never got the numbers mixed up. I, the same with reading. Like, no dyslexia. I loved reading as a kid. So that is funny. I really, the stuff that I've looked up is not related to math. I'm As I'm talking now, I realize that there's probably a lot more of it of my, you know, a significant amount of my math issues and just number issues were like related to the ADD. And, um, so I had to go to a tutor to really learn how to like tell time because, you know, like on those, on tests, when you're in the early years of elementary school, they test you, you know, on where, uh, what time it is. And probably I could do okay with where the big hand, no, I'm sorry, uh, where the little hand was, because that's just a whole number. So I only had to know 12 numbers. I think that probably I would have struggled with the second hand and just kind of 
not that I didn't know my numbers, I, I could count, that wasn't the issue. I think it was just having to sort of put the, I probably would have struggled with putting the two in a sequential order and having that concept like make sense. Like that is the time. This is a lot, the time thing is a little bit of guessing. Now I know that other stuff that I really struggled with and part of why I think that those elements of telling time were difficult for me is because I just fractions and percentages and ratios uh, to this day are like fractions I can, you know, I've experienced enough of life to sort of understand what fractions mean in a real sense. But I mean, I can't do anything with a fraction, you know, like I can't take a fraction, I can't turn a fraction into something else unless it's on a measuring cup, you know, <laughs> like that I kind of know. Um, percentages, I have no clue how to kind of get a fraction into a percentage besides the obvious stuff, 50% and like half. You just say that like a, a half fraction. You know, the really obvious stuff that people experience, but. <clears throat> and I have this memory in school of having to. What was it? Like you had to turn a fraction into a percentage? Or <coughs> turn it into a decibel point? Decibel? Jesus Christ in heaven decimal point or is that related to percentages and then like ratios that's obviously further on that's more like high school um but I really I mean god bless my mother who really like did everything that she could to uh help me struggle through that I'll tell you that much and it's not like she was necessarily like a math whiz, you know. I think probably as once I, I hope once I have my own kids and I'm sort of reading it to them, I hope that I'm going to be able to understand it, but I truly don't know. So I have, you know, very quickly I built up a lot of fear around math. And just knowing that I felt a really deep sense of being stupid because I did not understand it. And I believed that all the other children in the class understood it. And even if other kids did need help, I was obviously the stupidest one, right? And I've talked about this before, but I I think that always gave me a sense. I don't, why am I saying I talked about it before? I've talked about a lot of shit before. Anyway. I think that really gave me a sense of being different than other girls um, because I, contrary to, I guess, what a lot of people felt, I always felt that girls were smart and that girls were supposed to be really good in school. Like, I believed that that was a skill that a lot of girls could manage and I don't feel like I saw girls, other girls struggling with math the same way that I do. Now, in retrospect, of, of course, you hear that, whatever, there's kind of this old concept that I'm sure has been debunked by now, that boys are better at math than girls. I don't think that that is necessarily true. Of course, when I heard those kind of things in red, I thought, oh, okay, like that, kind, you know, that's my experience, at least. I don't... Uh, I don't know if that holds any water. I haven't looked back. <laughs> That's not what we're talking about today. Uh, and so taking math tests, you know, like I'll see memes of people like talking about like crying at the kitchen table at 10 o'clock at night doing your math homework. So I know that other people have that math anxiety and it, it was a terrible experience for a lot of people. I know that that's the case. And I have to say that in 
many years later, it does make me feel better to know that other people were like in as much hell as I was. And um, it just popped into my head the other day, like why, why is that so hard? <laughs> why is it so hard for some people? And so you might say maybe there's some learning uh, difficulties or disabilities going on. You could say there's the left brain, right brain thing. I don't know if that holds anyone. <laughs> if you've come here for like really good in-depth information and research, you have come to the wrong place. Turn around, go find a different podcast. We're going to have a little bit of information and I'm going to talk a lot. <laughs> Um, what was I going to say? You distracted me. See? Oh, God. Honestly. So, um, here is an article that I found. <laughs> uh, it's on the website Grade Power Learning. And it's entitled, Why Do Students Struggle with Math? And, uh, you know, just rundown of some common causes. Dyscalculia, which must be a sibling of <laughs> the Dracula and Count Chocula and Count... What's the guy from the Sesame Street? Just the Count, right? <laughs> just... Jesus Christ, dyscalculia is a learning difficulty, we've covered that, that causes students to struggle with formulas, shapes, and number-related concepts. This makes it difficult for them to understand and process math problems. These students usually fall far behind their peers in math and have trouble with number-related problems that don't improve with ongoing practice. Good, that's great. <laughs> Just... Dyscalculia, they'll just say, you're, you're fucked, okay? Just cheat and uh, try to not fail. Um, <clears throat> right, number-related concepts. Now, what's funny is that once I got to high school and I was learning, uh, what was it? Like, algebra and geometry, I actually... I understood those better. I could get along better with those. I don't... <laughs> maybe it's because there were other things involved for my brain to sort of familiarize itself. This sounds a little silly, but like maybe the fact that there are letters in algebra, it just gave me something familiar to hold on to. I mean, that might be like a really silly idea, but I really, I have like, <laughs> so this was in high school, right? That I started doing algebra and geometry. So I had spent my whole life going through ADD, taking riddle and feeling like a fucking idiot, like the crying during tests, taking so long, not being able to do my homework, going to different tutors, like literally tons of assistance around mathematics and it felt like so little of it you know I mean obviously it helped me get through stuff I was able to pass things as far as I can remember I mean I never failed like a grade but it was truly a struggle all the time with math and I mean just school in general was tough for me it was tough for me to focus and I was often kind of lost in my own fantasy world I had a lot of like colorful erasers and uh, I, I would make like a, a literal whole like play world at my desk. I remember having like a tissue box on my desk. That was a mistake because that was a house, obviously. <laughs> and um, gosh, I mean, doodling and, and I know that that's every, everybody has those kind of stories. I understand that there are some students who... Mm, you know, to sort of couple 
the counterpart to the memes that I see about people crying at the kitchen table doing their math homework are the memes or tweets that I read where people are like, Do, does anybody feel like uh, they were the smartest kid and everybody told them how smart they were when they were like in school and then you got out of school and it was just downhill from there? And I feel that is like a totally foreign concept to me. I can understand it. Like I understand what they're saying. Who hasn't heard a story like that before? But I mean, that's just not nobody. I mean, I don't want to say nobody told me I was smart when I was a kid. My family never made me feel bad. Never, never did my mother make me feel bad. My dad never, you know, said a word, you know. Even my sister, I don't recall her. She and I didn't always get along when we were kids. We're very good, you know, we're like best friends now. We didn't always get along as kids. That's normal. I don't recall her ever saying anything about my math or school issues. You know, I don't remember that. Extended family, nobody ever made me feel bad. So... Uh, you know, it really felt like the stupid feeling came from inside, <laughs> just like the devil coming out, you know, and, um, but it's not like I was being praised for how smart I was when it came to other stuff like English reading, then, you know, I definitely, that's where I shined. So I really obviously liked reading a lot more and, um, and, right, algebra and geometry. So anyway, it was like years of sort of this emotional turmoil in school. And then I got to high school. And I would think algebra was more high school. Geometry I probably would have learned about in junior high and high school. And geometry, obviously, there's there's something, there's a visual thing. There's a component, like... Even if I'm not picturing something inside of a triangle, I can, at, at least it gives me something to work with. It's not just like the cold reality, the cold logical reality of just pure numbers on a paper. So I think, and I really have these like fond memories of doing algebra and geometry and feeling like, wow, like, I get this, like, and I think that really surprised me, and, um, that was just a very, I really, like, even thinking about it now, I have these memories of just being like, maybe, maybe I'm a little smart, <laughs> maybe that this is a thing that I could do. Uh, let's go back to this list. The next is math anxiety. Students with math anxiety don't simply dislike math. For them, math causes debilitating feelings of fear and failure that hurt their ability to perform. The pressure and lack of confidence these students feel when faced with math causes their brain to freeze and forget even the things they do know. I do... I obviously lived through... <laughs> lived through and with math anxiety. I wouldn't put this personally on a list of common causes of trouble with math because math anxiety is a result. It's a symptom of the cause. It's not, I, I mean, whatever, I guess it's kind of twofold, right? <clears throat> it can cause further trouble, but it's not the end. It would never be the initial cause of trouble with math. You would have to have a, you know, a foundational trouble with math in order to get the math anxiety, which could then cause further trouble. So hmm, I'm a little bit iffy on that one. The next one is poor foundation. Math challenges aren't always a result of a learning difficulty for many students who struggle with math. It's simply because they don't have the proper foundation needed for success. These students may have fallen behind in a unit or moved on to advanced material before they were ready, leading to failing grades. Um, okay. Now, <clears throat> I kind of 
I kind of like that. That one, um, or whatever that that cause, uh, it correlates to something else that I read on Reddit, on an Ask Reddit thread, uh, and the question is, why is math so damn hard? And one of the answers. Not a lot of answers, but um, responses. One of them is, math is a language. When you learn the meanings and practice speaking it, it can be very natural. If instead you skim over the definitions and jump ahead, you can be quickly lost, as it all sounds like gibberish. The secret to language and learning in general is repetition. Repetition reinforces the definitions and makes them come naturally. Write notes even if you never look at them again. Summarize key... One of the biggest frustrations is not knowing where the math is going, what the purpose is. It's hard to find significance. This is when maths, persons obviously British, they're writing maths, can become tedious to study. Skimming ahead, asking ways in which it's used, or just reviewing problems based on the material helps provide context. So I thought that that was like a perf this person works or you know this thread is from six years ago so they at the time they worked in a field uh that required like math based certifications (laughs) whatever that so vague and secretive i think that's probably the best um analogy is to think of math as a language and um it's true you know it's kind of like I mean as somebody who (laughs) has spent you know a large part of my adult life so far um learning a language and practicing it before I uh studied and spoke German I studied Italian and at the time So I studied, I started with Italian in junior high school, you know, like with everybody in American schools. And I continued until I think my junior year of high school, that's 11th grade in high school, we finish at 12th grade for non-North Americans. And um, I liked Italian a lot and I took to it pretty well. I don't recall why I stopped taking it, but, um, when I got to college, (laughs) when I got to college, I, I'm half Italian on my dad's side and I still have family in Italy. And an aunt of mine, um, spoke Italian, had lived in Italy. She was going to Italy for Christmas when I was like 19, I think. And I was like, (laughs) I had seen Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants that summer. And one of the girls in it, Alexis, ooh, Alexis, what, Little, Bleedle? What the hell is that girl's name? Alexis Bleedle? Can that be it? (laughs) Alexis Bledel. She, as far as I can remember... And as far as I took inspiration from the movie, she was like Greek American and she went to Greece with her family for a summer and like met some handsome Greek guy, of course. Now, thinking back on it, I don't want to make any assumptions. I didn't look up her bio. I don't, Alexis does not strike me as a very Greek looking person. Just my two cents. At least not kind of someone of Greek origin, you know. And, um, I saw that movie, the rest of it, forgettable. (laughs) Sorry to say, I know some people love that movie. And I was like, I have got to go to Italy. (laughs) And I went to Italy and I had a really fantastic time. It was really the thing that got me interested in living in Europe. And um, I came back and I was, it was all Italian all the time. I was completely obsessed with Speaking Italian, living Italian, drinking Italian, eating Italian, everything Italian. 
And so I started taking Italian classes again. And I really did very well with it. I loved it. I could just consume so much of the language. I really loved it so much. I was in like a love affair with Italian. The problem was, is that I really didn't have anybody to speak Italian with. I guess I could have spoken to my family in Italy. But at the time, I was like a lot of people when it comes to speaking languages, I was very self-conscious about sounding like an idiot. And, uh, and and not even just necessarily sounding like an idiot, but getting caught in a moment which I have lived through 10,000 times now living in Germany where somebody says something and you don't understand them and you know that even if you said, can you repeat that more slowly or slower, more slowly, that even if they repeated it, you probably, you know that like you're not there, like your language is not going to, you don't have the vocab to understand what they're saying. <clears throat> and so it really, I mean, it faded away, which is terrible. I mean, it's very sad. I still love Italian and um, I should probably, <laughs> now that I'm talking about <laughs> getting myself all excited about Italian again. Um, and so, and I know that for some people speaking a language it's very difficult. They don't get it. They can't like retain the words. They don't like, re they don't remember how to pronounce things. And I never, I never struggled with that. You know, like the H in Italian is silent. They use the letter H. They never speak it. Never. And, uh, you know, that kind of thing never tripped me up. Whatever. <laughs> I don't know that I had like a hundred percent accuracy, but you know what I mean? Like the common pitfalls of learning Italian were easy for me. So I do think that there's something going on there with the brain, right? And just how the brain kind of perceives different things. So words and language, very easy for me, came really naturally. Number... <laughs> let's call it number related concepts, very difficult for me. And, um, <clears throat> you know, this math guy, this math guy on Reddit, I can understand what he's saying that if you, if you get put and it connects back to, uh, the other point that was made poor foundation, if you get pushed past a certain place where you're still trying to understand fractions and then you have to move on to like, did, can you multiply with fractions? Because I seem to remember doing that and that feels like a special kind of hell <laughs> to me. Like that is literally like, it just is meaningless to me. Like it's impossible and um i i think that i probably would have had to stay at a really like low level of math for a long time before i would have had the right foundation to move on you know and it's a beautiful idea to, and not that this person is suggesting this but you know the the idea is fantastic what if schooling were arranged around actually the speed with which a child learns something, right? Like what if when it came to reading, what if I was already reading fucking Catcher in the Rye in the sixth grade because I had just kind of accelerated to that point and, um, whatever, maybe in the sixth grade, I'm still working on like division with decimal point. Well, division with decimal point, I kind of, I think I was mostly okay with that basic foundational functions, addition, subtraction, multiplication, division got a little bit dicey, but I could mostly figure that out because the numbers are in a house, of course. <laughs> And it's very linear with division. You know, it's a little more linear. But now that I say that, I remember fucking it up a lot, actually. Anyway. Um, 
I don't know if I would have ever gotten to a place. It's hard to say. It's impossible to say. I can't go back, clearly. And um, that's not how public schools are run. You know, I I wonder if at something like a Montessori or um, a Waldorf school or a charter school even, like, do they... Is that kind of how it operates where they really try to work with individual students at whatever speed they're at? And it seems tough because I don't think that teachers are, I don't, I can't even speak about what teachers are trained to, uh, you know, do or obviously if you're going to work in a public school you just don't have the kind of time or capacity to meet the individual needs of each child I and that's not a comment on public school teachers in any way obviously I understand that they are doing an unbelievable amount of work for a fucking pittance and um so that's not a comment well (laughs) Except for Mrs. Kowalski, who is a fucking bitch to me. She's an exception. (laughs) And I think all my other teachers after that, I never had a teacher who I hated as much as that. See you next Tuesday. She was, she really took the cake. I'll tell you that much. She won the award for worst teacher of my literal whole life. And that is second. And that's, uh, uh, No, not second to. She's like, that's even, fuck off. I don't know how to say it. You know, the second place holder is Mrs. Tripaldi in the the sixth grade, uh, who told me, oh, what was it? Math will never be your thing. Something essentially that. And I don't think she could not have known what kind of an impact that statement would have on me, really. And it was just, it was a moment where somebody actually said it. And obviously to her, it was just a flippant comment. I don't even blame her. I can understand that she's not like she was with me for the previous 11 grades she couldn't have known what kind of, what my, she taught math for God's sake, you know? I mean, it's just like, there's so many things. So I don't blame Mrs. Tripaldi for saying that, but it was a moment where I was like, oh, okay. Like somebody has said it now. (laughs) If you're a Housewives fan and you know Camille Grammer from season two of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, she has a famous line where she says, and now we said it. And now we've said it. And um, really from that moment on, I kind of feel like it was not a relieving thing for her to say that. It did not free me in any way. I felt like, oh, like I'm just fucked. That was, I don't know that I used that word. I (laughs) really didn't curse when I was that age. But it was, that would have been the sentiment was, oh, like, this is just never going to get better. Like, this is just an insurmountable problem that I'm always going to have. You know, like, I have to fucking deal with geometry at 34. I don't. I, why the fuck? Why? I mean, okay, I'm like picking on geometry and algebra. I didn't mind those. Obviously, I wouldn't have understood those if I hadn't learned the other stuff, I guess. But it's like, it just was such fucking hell for me. You know, and it's like, it's so hard for me to get further with it than just that like raw emotion that I'm like tapping into right now. (laughs) Just bringing up a lot of childhood like school trauma going on. <laughs> um 
I'm laughing because I just, I really like felt it in my soul, you know, that just like, why the fuck did I have to learn that? Oh God. (laughs) Anyway, so I would have been 12 when she said that to me. And, um, years later when I was at college and I had to take, you know, another math I had to take a math class to meet a requirement. I was studying, I probably would have switched over to sociology by that point from English. And, um, I don't recall if I had already started taking the class. It was a class for, (laughs) this was a liberal arts college. No one was going to this college for math or whatever. I don't know what the numbers were, but it was like, It was like a really, I'm sorry to say, it was a very sad theater program, okay? Um, So it was like theater and the humanities and social sciences. At least that was my my world. That was who I kind of interacted with. Um, Probably there were some like history teach. Well, isn't that social science? I don't know. Guys. Give me a break, okay? And anyway, I was basically taking, like, math for artists. <laughs> math for people who have childhood math trauma. And uh, so the teacher, kind of a handsome young guy. I think he was married, but, you know, he was very, like, cool. His name was Chris. And he was so nice and lovely and funny, and I don't know that I actually, I don't recall a damn thing that I learned in the class, but that definitely helped me feel like maybe I'm not, I don't even know that anything that I learned made me feel like I'm not a fucking idiot, but the, there was a positive feeling in the class, and a lot of credit to that guy for basically taking in people who were like, I'm like an artist or like I write poetry. Can you help me learn math? You know, like I've never learned math, you know. But during that time, I went to some kind of service that they had at the school. And I got like retested for uh, just to see where... What the fuck was the test even? Like an ADD test or something? I'm not even clear what the what the test was specifically looking for. And it came back that I had like a math learning disability. And that my math level was sixth grade. And <laughs> of course that quote, that uh, you know, that line from Mrs. Tripaldi came roaring back and I was like, holy shit. Like at that point, my brain was just like, okay, like, I guess this is it. It's just going to suck. Maybe the line, maybe the fact that that line really did like hit me like a ton of bricks at the time, it might've really made me feel like um, yeah, whatever, like, I, I guess I just have to, like, continue living in this, (laughs) this hell, you know, and, um, just with math, and, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe somehow it did make math learning a little easier, even if I didn't take in as much, I don't know, I feel like I'm really bullshitting at this point and uh I definitely feel tired (laughs) here's some other where are we what's our I so I accidentally uh, it doesn't fucking matter um (laughs) we're at like an hour at this point and I really I didn't realize that this was gonna like I don't know why I didn't know that this was gonna open a can of worms for me because I absolutely should have known that Um, it certainly was illuminating for me. (laughs) 
<laughs> I don't think that this was informative for anybody, but maybe you related to it. Um, you're not here for information, okay? You're here to relate with me. Maybe I make you laugh. I don't really know about that. I make myself laugh, so there's always that. But I really feel like we should uh, kind of wrap it up. Maybe we'll come back to this topic, but do I want to dig up? Oh, God, you know, do I want to have to, like, dig this up again? Math is hard. We've talked about some of the reasons. I'm sure that you have a lot of your own experiences, too, with math. And maybe you were great at math and you loved it. Um, and God bless you, you know, that I am, I think probably as a kid, I would have been, I think I was very angry with people who were good at math and I was sort of like, why don't you have a soul? You know? <laughs> uh, but now, I mean, thank God that there are people who like math and think and are good at it rather. And thank God there are people who are better at writing poetry because the world would be at a real uh, loss if we didn't have both of those. And, um, you know, as always, I really uh, appreciate all the listeners. Um, and I hope to... <laughs> I hope that you hear from me again. <laughs> I hope you'll join me next time. How's that? Yeah, that's a good one. I hope you'll join me next time, whatever the next episode is, uh, and whenever it is, and um, I wish you a wonderful day. Goodbye.